0: Today's episode features some bad language.
1: Yes, we're going to be discussing Pete Mandick's paper, Shit Happens. Um, You're supposed to use the profanity buzzer then?
0: Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, let's try that again.
1: Mm. We're going to be discussing Pete Mandick's paper, Shit... No, that's not right. Try again.
0: Well, oh, sorry, sorry. Got a bit ahead of myself there. Mm.
1: We're going to be discussing Pete Mandick's paper, Shit... happens.
0: No, no, no. No, no, no. I, I, I think I've got it now. All right, let's try again. Yeah. We are
1: <coughs> to be discussing <coughs> Mandix paper. <coughs> shit.
0: <coughs> Why are you glaring at me?
1: Podcasters' Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Doctor M Dentith. Hello, and welcome to the Podcasters' Guide to the Conspiracy. Uh, sitting before you are Josh Edison and Doctor M Dentith, waving. What the heck? Oh, Chartreuse, goodness! Waving, waving hard liquor under my nose, just just for the sake of it, just to try and put me off. Um, Yes, Dr Dentith is still in the country despite the efforts of two governments. We've not got rid of him yet. Yes, uh, um... I'm having
0: a bit of an issue with paperwork in that there's a discrepancy between the paperwork that my job usually provides and the paperwork that the consulate demands. And because, of course, it's now the year of the ox in Mm -hmm. China and there's a whole festivity going on around the new year I It's it going to take a little occasion. longer for mm. that paperwork to come through because people understandably are on vacation and don't want to be providing paperwork when they could be eating delicious food and celebrating with their families and I say good for them. Good for them indeed. Two that will benefit me next year anyway. Well, Yes, yes, yes.
1: So, so, so the wheels are still in motion they're just taking a holiday as is their right. Uh, but So you've been talking in Hong Kong, nevertheless?
0: Yes, I gave a talk at Hang Seng, which is a university in Hong Kong, talking about fake news on Saturday of last week, which, because it was a conference in Hong Kong time, but I was sitting here in Milford, meant that the conference started at 1.45 in the afternoon and ended at 10pm, with a two-hour dinner break between 5 and 7, which is kind of the worst time For a lunch break for someone who's going, I don't know what to do for the next two hours. I'm kind of stuck at home with nowhere to go, just sitting in front of a computer, hoping that something exciting is going to happen. Mm. And it didn't. Talk was good, though, and Mm. I chaired my first ever panel. Oh, very well. I've chaired papers before, but never a panel. Mm, How did it go? It went swimmingly. Well, that's excellent.
1: Um, Now, last week... um, circumstances conspired to uh, make us get one out of the can again.
0: Which means we have to put, have one, to put one, into one back the in can. the can.
1: The can must never go empty. Uh, before that, of course, it was our 300th episode spectacular. Now, I understand um, we did have one glaring omission in all our talk of Kirk Cameron and the Left Behind series.
0: Yes, yeah, so it turns out that what we failed to mention was that one of Kirk Cameron's mentors... Is New Zealand's own Ray Comfort the man who can't believe the banana evolved?
1: Oh, he's actually the banana guy. He is I've the seen banana, banana guy. I've seen the banana video, but I didn't realise he was a yes, Ray was one Comfort. Of those.
0: Is Banana Man?
1: Goodness me! Which is actually
0: referenced to an eighties cartoon that virtually no one remembers. I,
1: I think I remember Banana Man. Yes. Yeah. Was
0: was his companion Zippy? I don't know. I, just... I think I think he had a a kind of bear-like companion all coming back to me now. But Mm. yes, Ray Comfort was the man who, and I think he is dead, so I think he was the man, who believed that the banana was proof that evolution by natural selection can't be true because the banana is perfectly designed, in scare quotes, to be eaten by a human being. Mm. It was designed for us to carry around and eat. It's a candy bar in its own organic wrapper.
1: Mm. Um, All of which is true, of course, but ignores the fact that in Biblical times bananas were quite unappetising bags of seeds which due to human uh, intervention and selective breeding over the centuries turned them into the, the fruits that are indeed designed for us to, to eat at our leisure.
0: That is heresy and I will not stand for it.
1: Fair enough. Uh, so this week, this week though, we have um, another installment of Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre. Uh, uh, what's the paper called? Is it? I think. I think we we might just have to allow a certain amount of of profanity.
0: Okay. So and the trust. paper is
1: called what? Paper is called shit happens.
0: Sorry. Again. Shit. P- shit. Shit happens. shit happens. Shit
1: happens. Yep. I think I, I, that, that must be out there by now. Um... In reference to uh, Brian L. Keely's of Conspiracy Theory. So he, he's the original potty mouth, is Brian, really. It's true. Mm. Pete is simply, simply following for, on from following Brian's his example. bad behaviour. Yeah.
0: Mm. Brian, Brian I know you're listening to this. I mean, really, mm. you've led Pete down a bad path.
1: Mm. But we'll see just how bad after this sting.
0: not the fact I can press a button mm. and make a sound effect.
1: It's... it's... Yep. Yeah. You're gonna... Oh, no, I was gonna say you're gonna stop loving it. I'm gonna stop loving it eventually, I think. Possibly the novelty will never wear off for you.
0: I can just have my finger hovered over the button and make everything you say sound...
1: sound quite filthy, yes. Uh but now... <clears throat> to the business at hand, we are talking about a paper uh, by Pete Mandick, Associate Professor and Department Chair of Philosophy and Director of Cognitive Science at William
0: Paterson University in New Jersey. In New Jersey? In New Jersey. I can't do a New York accent to save I, my life.
1: I, neither can I. So we're, we're in good company, I guess, with each other.
0: Sitting here mm-hmm. in Milford. Yes, doing what we do.
1: Mm. Um, it's from that episode, uh, that issue rather of oh, Episteme. Right. That
0: episode. I like mm. the idea. We're, we're doing episodes of conspiracy theory masterpiece theatre. Now, actually, that's not a bad idea. Well, we kind of are. This is yeah. this is an
1: episode, but, but
0: journals don't do episodes, don't do episodes they, so they do issues. they do issues.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, so the issue of Episteme from two thousand and seven that we've been working our way through. Um, and as we will see, it, it ties in a bit of it ties in several papers we've looked at before. Brian L. Kelly's of conspiracy theories, uh, plus a bit of Steve, Steve Clark and a bit of David Cody. Um,
0: no Lee Basham though.
1: No Lee, ba- no, no, still Lee Lee doesn't doesn't get the representation.
0: He will yet. come in. Later. I'm sure. Yes, you're no, also getting a lot of references sure to Lee will. in the literature very very soon. Mm.
1: So let's begin. Um, this, this paper has an abstract, which is always nice, and the abstract reads, In this paper I embrace what Brian Keeley calls in, of conspiracy theories, the absurdest horn of the dilemma for philosophers who criticize such theories. I thus defend the view that there is indeed something deeply epistemically wrong with conspiracy theorising. My complaint is that conspiracy theories apply intentional explanations to situations that give rise to special problems concerning the elimination of competing intentional explanations. There's little doubt that at least some conspiracy theories deserve dismissal on the grounds of their kookiness, but are all conspiracy theories dismissible? And are they dismissible on grounds intrinsic to their being conspiracy theories? Long story short,
0: yes, according Mm. to Pete Mandick.
1: Yes, but uh, we should probably explain why. Um, so yes, as he says, he starts off. Uh, it's it's inspired by of conspiracy theories, and um, I'll, I don't know if we mentioned this back at the, at the time when we first went through this. But at the start of of conspiracy theories, there are tw- two quotes: one by Hume, and also the popular expression "shit happens," which is, if you recall, at the very end of it. Um, Sorry,
0: uh, what was that expression again?
1: That was shit.
0: Happens. You should have, should have committed to the happens there and I suppose I should have Try again The quote was Shit Thank you Okay um, that won't be the last time I used the profanity buzzer Because now the joke is actually quite, quite old Now if I do it enough times If you times, do it enough
1: times it'll roll around to being funny again But, but it re- might
0: Yeah, I, I suspect the, po- the episode have to go on for a very yeah. long time mm. to roll around to that
1: mm. Um, so things kick off with with, with the following quote. (coughs) Of particular interest for the current paper is a dilemma that Keeley raises toward the end of his 1999 discussion. The first horn of the dilemma is that the more we lend credence to conspiracy theories, theories postulating powerful agents cooperating to commit evil while succeeding in avoiding detection, the more we are pushed to a kind of skepticism about any of our institutions the second horn of the dilemma is that the less we lend credence to the core idea that agents are able to control events, the more we're pushed to a kind of absurdism whereby historical events may happen due to causes but not for any reason. In other words, shit happens. Uh, My aim is to argue for acceptance of the second horn of Keeley's dilemma.
0: Now the first thing I want to note is that evil is a little bit of a strong reading of Keeley here, isn't it? Well yes,
1: I mean we've always said that there needn't be anything inherently malevolent in a conspiracy, although other people would disagree. But, but yes, saying that conspiracies uh, uh, are necessarily evil is quite a strong claim, I think.
0: And of course, the other thing to note is that when we're talking about Brian Keeley's work, we need to be talking about the distinction between mature, unwarranted conspiracy theories, which is what Keeley is basically interrogating mm. in, of conspiracy theories, and the idea that there are actually warranted conspiracy theories out there which are rational to believe according to the available evidence. And it seems that what Mandik is doing here is focusing entirely on the mature conspiracy theories and, as we're going to see over the course of this paper, not really leaving any room for the idea that there might be warranted conspiracy mm. theories out there that are worth believing on the evidence itself. Yes.
1: Uh, so, like a good philosophy paper, it starts with a bit of definition. Um, Mandic defines conspiracy theories based on uh, Keeley's definition, taking into account uh, some of David Cody's um, uh, additions as well. Um, he does. Say th- there are certain aspects, in particular things like David Cody's insistence that a conspiracy theory is always in opposition to an official theory. Some things like that he's not actually, you know, says maybe true, maybe not, but not what he's interested in in particular. Um, mm-hmm. The the things he's interested in in the definition of a conspiracy theory he, he separates into five points. Um, he says, conspiracy theories postulate one explanations of two historical events in terms of three. Intentional states of multiple agents, the conspirators, who, among other things, four, intended the historical events in question to occur, and five, keep their intentions
0: and actions secret. And then he goes on to say, I take it that these five elements are agreed by the aforementioned authors to be individually necessary conditions on being a conspiracy theory. For the current purposes, I can remain neutral on whether the five are jointly sufficient for conspiracy theories. I aim to defend the view that any theory that satisfies all five of the criteria that constitute my working definition of a conspiracy theory is a theory that we have no more reason for believing than any of the possible alternative theories.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, of those five, I don't think we... we would agree with, um, with criteria number four, that the conspirators intended the historical events in question to occur. We no, and we've talked
0: first. about this in the past. So one of the issues you have when you start talking about intentionality with respect to conspiracy theories is, of course, there are always unintended consequences to any sophisticated or complex social action. So it might be the case that conspirators intend for a state of affairs to come about, such as the assassination of a dictator and thus, hopefully, they becoming the ruling class of the Republic of Rome. But there's no way that they can guarantee that endpoint. point. They intend an end, but they don't intend the specific historical event which has occurred. And that seems to be the problem with Mandik's definition there. Mandex? Mandic's definition there, in that he seems to be adhering to a really strong sense of a conspiracy is only a conspiracy if the conspirators achieve the end they wanted to achieve. Whilst, well, so as we've discussed in the podcast, at length, you can be involved in a conspiracy that results in an event you did not want, but it's still a clear case mm. of a conspiracy because the conspirators intended for some state of affairs to obtain, even if it turns out that state of affairs wasn't able to be obtained due to some other factor.
1: Mm. And yes, straight away we see there doesn't seem to be any mention of a distinction between warranted and unwarranted conspiracy theories. It's just conspiracy theories in bulk, um, which, which possibly may get things into a little bit of a tangle as we go.
0: Yeah, because it does seem that from the off, Mandic really is an arch conspiracy theory sceptic. He's arguing, as we will see that you never have good reason to believe a conspiracy theory. In fact, he's actually going to have some really weird conclusions based upon where his arguments go. And what's particularly interesting is that despite what he says earlier in the paper, that he's kind of agnostic as to whether Cody is right, that we need to bring in the idea that there's a distinction between a conspiracy theory and an official theory... It does seem that he does think official theories will trump conspiracy theories, even if they've got the same evidence. Mm.
1: Um, so having, having uh, defined terms, um, the paper starts to get into it intentions and if you recall, Steve Clark's paper that we looked at some time ago was the one that was all about the, um, the fundamental attribution error and, and intentional states and things like that. So it starts to sound a little bit familiar. Um, so he starts by looking so, so he had the, the, the five elements. one, conspiracy theories are explanations, two historical, three, they involve intentions. Four um, the intention the, uh, uh, the, the result was the intended result of five secrecy. So he's looking at three, the fact that conspiracy theories um, inten- involve intentional states. and he says, The third element, and this is perhaps most important to the points I want to make, is that the explanations posited by conspiracy theories attribute a large role to the intentional states, the beliefs and desires, of the agents involved. Intentionality is implicit in the fourth element, insofar as it's required that the historical events explained were intended by the conspirators. Additionally intentionality is required insofar as it is required in being a conspirator. Being a conspirator involves working cooperatively and thus doing things that involve the co-conspirators appropriately adopting the intentional stance toward one another so as to, for example, give, receive and understand orders, formulate plans and agree to act in accordance with plans. One of the most significant activities of conspirators that involve intentionality is to engage in the fifth element, agree to keep their plans and activities secret. Now we'll be coming back to Mm. the notion
0: of secrecy very soon because... Mendick's idea of secrecy here is basically harking back to the kind of secrecy that Karl Popper talked about and Was then criticized by people like Charles Pigdom. But we're jumping ahead there.
1: Yes, no, um, so at this point um, we, we go back to Hume because if you recall, um, Keeley's paper sort of drew the analogy um, with uh, Hume's paper on miracles um, and, and, and wanted to take conspiracy theories in a similar direction. Um, now th- there's, a, there's a bit here, th- there's, there's a decent chunk to the section, but the, um, the bit that stuck out to me was where he says, for any allegation of a conspiracy by a conspiracy theorist, is it more probable that the theorist is either deceiving or deceived or that the conspiracy posited never really happened? Modifying slightly yields the question, For any proposed conspiracy theoretic explanation, is there another explanation at least as probable as the one being proffered? If, for any conspiracy theory there is, in virtue of its being a conspiracy theory, always another explanation that is at least as probable, then the conspiracy theory cannot be known to be true.
0: Now that's weird. That's an interesting thing to say. Yeah, because it is true, if you've got a choice between two theories, and one is more probable than the other, then you ought to believe the the theory which is more probable. When you have two theories which are equi-probable, i.e. they both have the same kind of evidence, and you can't decide between the two, surely that's the point in time to use the modern parlance. You should be agnostic and go, well, I've got, no way to choose between two competing explanations or hypotheses for these particular bits of data but Mandic is going no if it turns out that they're equiprobable and one of those theories is a conspiracy theory then that's grounds to prefer the non-conspiratorial explanation and that seems very very weird that means he's working with a pejorative gloss on conspiracy theory from the off. He's not actually interested in interrogating how we should deal with conspiracy theories. He's interested in giving some justification as to why we should be dismissive of them, even in a situation where the conspiracy theory might be as good a contender for an explanation as some rival theory.
1: Mm. So that's going to come into play again later, but... um... The next section of the paper is conspiracy theories as extremely problematic intentional explanations. So getting back into the into the Clark type Although business. not
0: formally until the very end no, of the paper. No. So when I did my reread of this paper and this stuff on intentionality came up, I went, is he going to mention Clark at all? And he does, he does. but not until the very end.
1: Mm. Um, So he says, each of the five elements of the definition of conspiracy theories gives rise to distinct problems for the believability of any given conspiracy theory. And jointly, they make any theory that satisfies all five criteria, a theory for which we have no more warrant than any other theory alleging to explain the same data, including other theories that satisfy all five criteria. So... He doesn't, doesn't really have much to say about element one, the idea that conspiracy theories are explanations, that's... Fair I mean,
0: that just seems trivial, so there really shouldn't be much to say at all.
1: Um, he thinks that element two, the fact that the explanations of historical um, events, is a bit of a problem, basically on the grounds that any explanation of any historical event is, is post hoc and has to depend on reported observations that we just assume
0: are reliable. But the problem is that might be true. But one, that's going to affect every single historical explanation you deal with because every historical explanation does not rely on someone observing the event in the past. We're relying on the testimony of people telling us what they observed and thus there's questions about reliability, whether it's a conspiracy theory or not. And also, two, we're talking about testimony here. We're not talking about a problem which is specific to conspiracy theories. Mm. We're talking about a general issue issue with testimony which deals not just with historical claims, but things which are happening here and now you hear about via other people. So if we take Clark seriously here, our social knowledge becomes incredibly sparse.
1: Mm. And then... Elements three, four, and five—the the, the the fact that we're we're talking about conspirators' intentions and in their intentions to keep secrets—would um, then make this even more of a problem because we know that testimony from you know, say testimony from the conspirators themselves is going to be a lie because they're deliberately trying to deceive us and hide their intentions and so on. Um, he goes into a little digression on predictions which I had an objection to, but I think I might skip over just in the interests of, of keeping this thing moving. Um, the, the, the point of it all is that Mandic thinks that intentional states as explanations are not reliable because for any event there are lots of possible intentions that could have led to it.
0: Which of course, once again, is going to be true for any historical explanation you might think of.
1: Mm. So for instance, he talks about, um, as you recall, the main, um, the main uh, example that Brian Keeley used um, in his first papers was of the Oklahoma bombing example and the um, conspiracy theories involving the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. Um, Mandick says, there are thus a vast range of possible alternate intentional explanations and very little basis for choosing between them. This makes the initial conspiracy theory look post hoc. But then that doesn't really seem to be restricted to conspiracy theories at all. observation.
0: No. no once again, any kind of event which occurs in which you've got a variety of different competing explanations occurring within moments of the event, you're, you, initially your decision to go with one over the other could also be accused of being post hoc. Mm. So once again, this is not a problem specific to conspiracy theories.
1: Uh, but this leads into the next section called the lost art of keeping a secret, and I think here here is where is where the paper loses me. Really, I I, I had quibbles with it up till now, but at this point I thought things went a little bit off the rails. Um, because it, sort of following on from what I said before, um, sometimes we can we can narrow down intentional explanations with testimony from the actors themselves. People you know people tell you what their intentions were. Um, But because of of element five, the the fact that conspirators conspirators intend to keep their um, actions and goals secret, we don't have that. We don't don't have access to that. Um, And so, he says, my central claim may be summarized as the following conjunction of conditionals. If something is a conspiracy theory, then it has all five elements of my working definition. If something has all five elements of my working definition, then it is unwarranted, or at least no more warranted than a declaration of happens. I don't anticipate that there will be many objections to the first conjunct, since it is apparently agreed to be true by many, if not all, of the philosophers writing on the subject since Kelly's 1999 paper. Especially interesting, then, is the question of what plausible objections may be raised against the second conjunct.
0: Now, you have a possible objection.
1: Well, yes, and it's basically the objection that Keeley himself brings up: conspiracies occur. They yeah, do. and that's the thing
0: which is a problem with Mendick's characterization of Keeley here, in that by not talking about Keeley's distinction between warranted and unwarranted conspiracy theories, and the question of what to do with mature unwarranted conspiracy theories, Mendick is kind of completely sidestepping Keeley's entire discussion of we know conspiracies occur, that's why it's particularly vexatious to answer the question, are we justified in being dismissive towards certain claims about conspiracies as encapsulated by conspiracy theories? Hmm.
1: Um, And so Mandit considers this objection. He says, aren't we warranted in the common belief that, say, Al-Qaeda blew up the World Trade Centre? And isn't the common belief that Al-Qaeda blew up the World Trade Centre a conspiracy theory? The strategy I find most appealing is to answer the first question positively and the second negatively. The second question that immediately arises is why aren't these prima facie warranted conspiracy theories really conspiracy theories? My answer is that they fail the necessary condition of keeping secret. However, this point needs to be made with special care.
0: Does Mandik yeah. make it with special care?
1: <laughs> Initially, yes. I mean, he, he points out that there are, there are lots of different ways of keeping something secret. Um, and he talks about... Uh, I think referring to what you're talking about with Popper, that there are several senses of what it can mean to keep a secret. Um, you, you can consider that you've kept something a secret if you yourself have never done anything to divulge the secret. If you've kept that secret to yourself, then you've kept the secret. Another sense could be that if this, if if someone finds out about it, then you haven't kept the secret by definition. Whether or not you did anything, if if the secret's out, then it's out. And He sort of says, "Well, no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't go that far." That would be too much. He sticks to the former one. And yet, when he really gets going, seems to kind of be going for that that second definition after all. But and we're... of course,
0: the thing which makes this particularly problematic is putting to one side the whole debate about 9-11 truth and whether actually it was an inside job. If you take the official conspiracy theory of 9-11 then as soon as the attacks on New York and Washington D.C. are made, Al-Qaeda admits to the attacks and say they're responsible because they only needed to keep it secret up until the time the attacks occurred. Then, of course, they wanted to make the most of the attacks, to go, aha, who attacked you? It was us. Ooh. So, of course, it makes sense. You might go, I mean, once you've succeeded in your plot, and you've shown the world you can do this outrageous thing. You want to take responsibility so that then you can say, "Look, look, mainland America, you're not immune from attack after all." Mm.
1: Yes, I suppose I should also point out that it's not—he not, perhaps, not saying that a cons- at this point, at least, not saying that a conspiracy must remain secret forever, but the conspirators must intend to keep it secret forever, and which and makes
0: no sense for particular types of plots. It the sure conspirators. Who killed Julius Caesar weren't going to keep secret that they did it because they and wanted, wanted the credit, to either yeah. seize power or say we were the ones who saved Rome.
1: I mean, certainly there are conspiracies that the conspirators would want to keep secret yeah, the, the VW to... emissions yeah.
0: scandal is a great example of that. Yeah. They probably wanted to keep that secret for as long as possible. conspiracy to, to commit a of crime yeah. to, to steal to steal yeah. whatever. or yeah. but,
1: anyway. but yes, so we're so we're little bit here little bit here because the um, to quote Mandic himself, The need for care arises because there are several ways in which one can fail to keep secrets, not all of which are useful in discussing conspiracy theories. One way is by getting caught and being compelled to testify in a criminal investigation. In this case, one may have tried and then failed to keep the secret. A related way of failing to keep secret is illustrated by terrorists broadcasting their involvement in a plot in order to take credit for its success. In this this case, the sense in which they fail to keep a secret is by no longer even trying to keep it secret. Another way is of failing to keep secret when direct evidence, videotape of someone building and planting a bomb, for example, renders the secret no longer kept. And I mean, we, we talked about this all the way back in episode two, episode two of this podcast. You mean
0: 300 episodes ago?
1: 300, literally 300 episodes ago when we looked at the secrecy condition. And even back then we were saying, well, it doesn't have to stay secret forever, surely, because sometimes conspirators want, want it want, to, get, you know, want to, to, to commit a crime and get away with it and never have anyone find out. Sometimes conspirators want everyone to know once they've achieved their goals,
0: such as with a terrorist attack. Yeah, it turns out that to conspire is actually quite a complex activity that can be realised in multiple ways, mm. as a philosopher might say.
1: Yeah, and so there's no, there's no argument for the idea that a conspiracy must be kept secret even after the intended aim has been achieved. It's just, it's just sort of taken as read there. And then the talk of where he says, he talks about the problem maybe that, that um, conspirators may have trialed and then tried rather and then failed to keep the secret. Well, if we're talking about intention, the fact that they failed doesn't change their intentions, surely. They no. intended to keep yeah. a secret. They were unsuccessful, but the, the, if, if, if what we're interested in is their intentions, then the intentions are still there.
0: And of course, that speaks to the complex social arrangement, which is the conspiracy. So it's very easy for me to keep a secret. Because for me to keep a secret, all I need to do is simply not tell anyone about it. And it's fairly easy for two people to keep a secret if they're in a highly trusting relationship. Because you know only the other person knows, and thus you can check on their behaviour. But as soon as your conspiracy starts involving large numbers of people, some of whom know a lot, some of whom know very little, then you're going, well, I'm fairly sure I'm keeping things secret, but Gerald, I don't know what Gerald hey, is up Gerald. to. And Gerald is not very trustworthy because it was Alice who brought Gerald into the conspiracy and she basically had the hots for Gerald at the time. And No one knows why Alice has the hots for Gerald, but she does. And he was the wrong person to entrust things to. So the fact that you and I intend to keep a secret and even Alice intends to keep a secret but Alice made a bad decision means that information may well leak no matter what you intended to do. Mm.
1: And Mandix seems to be saying that if, if even one conspirator out of a conspiracy f- fails to keep the secret, then it's no longer secret and it's not a conspiracy anymore. Even, even though you know the intentions of all the other Conspirators were to keep things secret and they succeeded. It, it, it seems to have a bunch of just sort of weird implications. Like, in this section he allows for the idea that um, a, a conspiracy... ..a conspirator may keep their secret even in the face of an investigator trying to make them fess up, even if that investigator has actually found out through other means. Um, and in that case, they, the, the secret would be kept, and and the conspiracy remains a conspiracy. But that that sort of has the implication that if you if investigators investigate a conspiracy a conspiracy theory, find out the conspiracy occurs at that point, it's still a conspiracy. But if they're able to get one of the conspirators to fess up, perhaps by say confronting them with this evidence, this proof they have of the conspiracy then at that point it goes from being a conspiracy to being not a conspiracy it it that it, it seems like a very weird uh, situation to be claiming
0: yeah and as you point out despite the fact he tries initially to say I'm not doing the whole popper perfect secrecy thing actually he's doing the whole popper perfect secrecy thing and it's a characterization of conspiracy which means it's impossible for people to conspire or on the notion that if you know about the existence of a conspiracy, then it obviously wasn't a real conspiracy mm. at all, and thus any belief in a conspiracy theory has to be irrational because you can't rationally believe in conspiracy theories because people can't keep secrets.
1: Mm. Um, and then it, it, so at this point it's, it struck me that what about if we're talking about historical conspiracies that have been uncovered, uncovered say, centuries after the fact? So all of the conspirators... Went to their graves and took their secrets with them. As far you know, they look. Intem- Josh,
0: a proper conspirator should intend that their conspiracy is never uncovered and make sure that they wipe every single bit of mm. evidence off the map.
1: And yes, as we see when he starts talking about history later on, it almost does kind of sound like even even a, a historical conspiracy that's uncovered much later, still then, is no longer a conspiracy.
0: Which is going to get us into the weird metaphysical issue I have with arguments of this type, which is how do people like this deal with things which have been pejoratively labelled as conspiracy theories historically when new evidence comes to light decades later showing that actually the conspiracy theory was warranted the entire time?
1: Mm. Uh, But nevertheless, at this point we move to the next section which is called Avoiding both the Conspiracy Theory Conspiracy and the Fundamental Attribution Error Error.
0: Very pithy titles.
1: Mm. Um, And so here we we start talking uh, about Clark again. Um, So he says, my main complaint about conspiracy theories may be summarised as the view that they are multi-agent, intentional explanations of historical events that give rise to problems of holism and entanglement that cannot be resolved by the testimony of the conspirators since the conspirators are liars. It is difficult to see then how conspiracy theories can be anything other than post hoc. And uh, so now he really starts to have a look at what Clark had to say about these these
0: intentional states. Which is basically he wants to try and distinguish his view from Clark's view in order to make sure that the criticisms that David Cody it all made against Clark are not going to be applicable to his view of intentional states when it comes to conspiracy theories.
1: Hmm. So if you recall when we looked at David Cody's conspiracy theories and official stories, Cody's problem with with Clark's account was basically, I mean, first of all he kind of argued against the fundamental attribution error itself, um, but then argued that appeals to the fundamental attribution error basically commit the fundamental
0: attribution error themselves. Which is why Mandic wants to talk about the fundamental attribution error error.
1: Mm. Um, so he says, My concern in the remainder of the section is to address the worry that perhaps my own complaints against conspiracy theories are vulnerable to a similar charge, a charge that my complaint is self-refuting. Um, and having looked at it, he, he thinks he's okay at this point basically because he's not using intentional states to explain a particular historical event, which is what conspiracy theorists do, he's merely talking about intentional states in general, in uh, t- to talk about um, uh, a-,
0: a class of explanations. Could you
1: try again? Will you stop eavesdropping on us, Siri? What is, what, is, what is your laptop's problem?
0: I'm going to have to turn Siri off on my laptop for Honestly. the sheer fact that only meant to respond to my voice, and as you just saw, yes. it responded to you. And it didn't even respond to a claim of insert activation phase for Apple products. It just... it just started saying. I no. have to assume I have the most generic voice of all mm. time because it doesn't matter whether it's my watch or my phone or my laptop. People can invocate the whole notion of... Apple's assistant no matter who they are mm. which means that my voice must be so generic that it goes yep, I'll, just, I'll take commands from anyone and amusingly enough, for people who know my mother's cat, uh, we're recording downstairs in my mother's other lounge, my mother's cat is afraid of anyone who basically isn't mum or me and the cat just jumped through the cat door, looked at Josh, thought that maybe the cat could, uh, could get out, out the via other the door. other door, Discovered mm. the other doors actually closed and has now fled at high speed right. on the hope that Josh never noticed she was even in the room. Mm.
1: So hopefully, having been disrupted by both technology and animals, um, we can carry on with this podcast. Uh, I should say, for, for anyone at home, I've, I've been distracted currently because I kept looking over... At Em's laptop screen and seeing a transcript of my words cycling down and thinking is it is it is it some sort of Transcription software running and then realizing that, 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 that no we triggered it at some point five minutes ago And the poor thing was still trying to understand everything we were
0: saying, but anyway, anyway. It was doing a very good job. it, was, it wasn't it just yeah. it shouldn't be listening to mm. your voice at all.
1: No um, So Mantic thinks he's okay. He's, he's not he's not self-refuting, but um still has one final problem which is how to react to Keeley's "shit happens" objection, um, the idea that history, as far as we can see, is full of conspiracies, and if we reject conspiracy theories, then we're left with the idea that in cases, shit just happens. Sorry, what was that? I said shit, but d- <laughs> di- mm. happens. Good. Mm. Um, so he, he wants to compare. Conspiracy theories, or, or rather theories, I suppose, that fulfil his elements one to four, but not five. In other words, conspiracy theories where the conspirators don't intend to keep their intentions and actions secret. Um, which, again, I don't know. I don't know why that's a distinction. Certainly, if we start, if we if, if we're talking about history, which we, which we are now, if we're talking about historical. Historical theories they may be
0: hysterical as well. I don't know. Uh, We don't like to use the term hysterical on this podcast Well,
1: yeah, I've I've talked about that in the past as well, but anyway um, Why why would secrecy be an issue if we're talking about historical cases where the conspirators are long dead Unless you believe that it can to be a conspiracy something has to stay secret forever Um, So Mantic concludes how big is the gap in credibility between these kinds of non-conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories? The answer to this later question depends on the degree to which the fifth element, that is the secrecy one, exacerbates
0: the problem with so conspiracy not theories.
1: not the Bruce Willis not, film? Not that fifth element, no.
0: different. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I had a completely different reading of this mm, section. Mm.
1: Uh, if the overwhelming problems with conspiracy theories are pretty much just due to the first four elements of the definition Then we really do have to embrace the horn of Keely's dilemma and declare that in the course of human history time and again Shit I didn't, <laughs> you? I saw you, had your finger over
0: it because yeah, I was going to press it at a different time <sighs> for humorous purpose
1: <laughs> Shit mm. <laughs> If, on the other hand, the non-conspiracy theories which satisfy only the first four elements do fare quite a bit better for not postulating the veils of deception essential to their conspiratorial counterparts, then grounds can be given for resisting an absurdist worldview. My own view of the matter, and the case I've tried to make in the current paper, is that the elements prior to the fifth one create most of the trouble, and the prospects for resisting absurdism are quite slim. So basically he he kind of is saying that shit just happens. Well, that, yeah, mm.
0: yeah, and this is just a very weird conclusion.
1: Mm. I, I think for, I mean for starters, even 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 if we buy this, he's still talking about theories, either conspiracy theories or or non-conspiratorial historical theories. So that is just is talking about what we can know about them. so even even under his view, you could say we can't know how and why things happened, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a how and a why. Um, it doesn't imply that shit happens. At best, it's just it doesn't imply that conspiracies don't occur. At best, it's just saying we can't know if a theory that appeals to the existence of a conspiracy is any better than one that does it. I think he needs to read up on more on fallibilism. Maybe my, he does. Such as my master's dissertation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's on just... On my
1: bookshelf and nowhere else.
0: It's just a really, really weird hypothesis. I mean, we'll get into this when we talk about our impressions at the end mm. of the paper, which is coming up which very about soon because we basically have just gone through the conclusion. But, yeah, he's, he's in this kind of weird situation of going, look, even if a conspiracy theory has evidence, don't believe it. Mm. Just don't believe it.
1: Mm. No, it's very strange. So, yeah, my... When I got to the end of this, it it really started to feel like a bit of a a throwback. Some of the earliest papers we looked at seemed to be coming from the position, okay, we know conspiracy theories are nonsense, let's see if we can prove why. And in some cases came to the conclusion, huh, turns out we can't actually, and maybe we do have to take them seriously in some cases. Um, But this one, yeah, it really did seem to start with the idea that conspiracy theories are inherently irrational and try to argue its way to that position. But unfortunately but 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 at the time in two thousand seven when it's written, there's a lot more that kind of needs to be argued around to get there in the first place. So things just go go quite wonky. And for me it was yeah, just the whole talk of 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 secrecy just kind of sunk the whole thing, I thought, because when you get to the end of it, he's basically Defined warranted conspiracy theories out of existence. Um, yes, because
0: they're not kept secret mm. in just the right way, so so facto they can't be conspiracies, and thus theories about them cannot be warranted conspiracy theories.
1: Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean he 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 at points in the paper sounds like he allows for the possibility of uncovering a conspiracy even though the conspirators maintain their secrecy. But when it actually comes to specific cases and examples, he seems to pretty much eliminate any possible way that that that, that could happen, basically.
0: Yeah, and it's because I think he creates the horns of a dilemma out of the work of Keighley, which is actually an accurate representation Mm. of Keighley's work, and thus he ends up on the absurd horn Witches never believe a conspiracy theory, even if there's evidence in favour of it. And as you point out, that just seems absurd. And surely if you get to an absurd conclusion via your argument, you must go back and go, I think there might be something wrong with what I've said.
1: Mm, Yeah. And again, I mean, this is something we've seen a little bit, I guess, in previous papers is maybe keely himself didn't do the best job of of making it clear when he was talking about conspiracy theories in general and when he was talking about this this problematic kind of of mature on more into conspiracy theory and we have seen people and this one really seems to really seems to fall for it there at no point is the distinction made and it talks about conspiracy theories
0: as a whole in general entirely and the thing is I mean, we have we have pointed the finger at Keeley's paper saying, look, some of it is a little bit unclear, but as we've also pointed out in our discussion of of conspiracy theories, it's one of the first two papers mm. in conspiracy theory in philosophy since Popper and his discussion of them in the open society and its enemies. And so it's understandable that as Keeley is basically inventing some of the language we use to discuss conspiracy theories today that is not precise with it because it's still in the process of being generated. This is 2007. Now, the difference between 1999 and 2007 is, I think, a number greater than 8. Or at least equal to 8. I mean, it might be equally probable with 8, now, of course, according to Mandic, we have got no reason to trust one number over the other in yeah. this kind of situation. It does seem that but way. I take it that this number of years between Keeley and Mandic's writing indicates that they've got time, Mandick at least has, to be able to look at that paper and actually try to work out what's going on there. And this is just a poor showing. Mm. Yes, I mean,
1: in between, in between the two, as we've seen, there's been a whole book released of papers that we've gone through and then there's, there, there's enough work to fill up uh, an issue of episteme that we're looking at right now. So yes, there's, there's certainly less of an excuse for this sort of equivocation.
0: Indeed. I mean, I just find the entire thing rather bizarre, mm. that if you have a choice between a conspiracy theory and a non-conspiracy theory where the evidence literally cannot decide between the two... Mandic is arguing it's more rational to believe the non-conspiracy theory rather than profess agnosticism and go, actually, we just don't know. Mm.
1: Yes, so there we go. That's that's the end of that one. We were we were less than impressed on this particular occasion.
0: Yeah, I mean I remember reading it at the time and not being particularly impressed, but I'm even less impressed now that it's fourteen years later.
1: Mm. So that's the end of that. Installment of Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre It's the end of this episode But not the end of the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy for this week If you happen to be a patron of the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy What do we have in store in our bonus episode?
0: A plan to blow up the moon Excellent so, And, join us and actually us some about discussion the about the whole Trump impeachment wow, trial we, thing We, can't I mean, we, we I kind suppose. of have to mention it It's uh, one of those cases where If there is news we have to cover, we will, of course, discuss it in the patron bonus episode. And this is one of those situations where I kind of feel at least need to check in on Mm. the impeachment. Mm. Just briefly, perhaps.
1: So, uh, if you are a patron, strap in and get ready for that one. Uh, if you're not a patron and you'd like to be one, you can go to patreon.com and search for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy and sign yourselves up. That would be just peachy. It would. Uh, but if you don't want to become a patron and you're just happy listening to these episodes, well, good for you also. Quite Indeed. frankly, we, we appreciate your listenership, I guess. Is that the word? Sounds yes. about right. Um, so until next week or possibly the next couple of minutes, if you're about to queue up the bonus episode, I think it's good goodbye for me.
0: And it from me. Disgraceful. I know. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy is Josh Addison and me, Dr. M. R. Dentith. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon. And remember, the truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it.